following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So what is the kingdom of God? Uh, and, and, and why do we need to look at it? It's interesting in the, the prayer Jesus teaches, the Lord's Prayer, he says, uh, pray thy kingdom come. In this passage he says, you know, if I cast out demons by the power of God, the kingdom has arrived. Wow, that was fast, right? Prayed, poof, it's here. Um, uh, but we all have a sense that there's probably more to it than that, right? Because we don't really probably feel like we're living in the kingdom, like if this is the kingdom of God, we, we, we want a refund, right? Because this doesn't quite measure up to what we picture heaven being like. So what is this about? Well, let me start uh, just giving some background of, uh, uh, of defining God's kingdom. And this is dangerous to do, but I'm going to just throw it there because we need a place to start, right? Uh, and I borrow this definition from Dallas Willard, who's very good at just defining things. So I like his definition. And he defines a kingdom this way. A kingdom is the area of life over which one has the deciding voice. It is where one's will is done. As a result, kingdoms clash as the will of one bumps up against the will of another. Right, so I like that. A kingdom is the place where your will is done. So that means, you know, in my home, my home is my kingdom. <laughs> I can say that because my wife's not here. Right? right? And she doesn't know. Don't tell her, right? Because her will sometimes bumps up against my will. It's hard to imagine. And sometimes there is a battle of wills, <clears throat> right? And the person that wins gets the kingdom, Gets the remote for the remote for the TV, right? Um, well, uh, that's true of God. Okay, God's kingdom is that place where His will is done, right? Where He has the right and the power to accomplish His will and purpose. Uh, we can also expand that a little bit and think about God's kingdom as being made up of His, his will, His power and his presence. Uh, we can talk about God's kingdom in terms of both his rule and his realm, uh, which are similar but not quite exactly the same. Uh, his rule is what he, that effective place where his will is, 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 is followed, where what he wants is what gets done. Uh, his realm speaks more of a place. So when we think of heaven, that would be the realm of God's kingdom as it stands right now. Um, God's rule is absolute within his realm. Uh, but God can also has, have rule beyond his realm. So, for example, in the, in, in the kingdom of Thailand, uh, as Mike shared this morning, there's a king whose rule here is pretty much absolute. And even though he has no constitutional powers, nothing major happens in government here without the king's permission and approval. Um, so he has absolute rule in his realm. But the king also has influence and rule outside of his realm where there are Thai citizens living in other countries who 
still respect the king and still would allow him to rule in their lives, even though the king has no governmental power outside of his realm. And the same is really true of God. Uh, And so we can think about his kingdom in terms of both his realm, the kingdom that's his, but also his rule as it extends beyond what might be his kingdom. Um, So uh, if you're tracking with me so far, uh, and, and you know scripture well, you know the Bible, you should start having like tons of red flags and huge questions. Right. Does anybody have any questions? You should, right? Because uh, if we believe God is sovereign, I think one of the songs we sang this morning talked about that, the sovereign God who uh, is king. Well, what does it mean to be sovereign? Well, it means that your rule and your will is effective everywhere. Right? Uh, so if that's true, and if God really is sovereign, and he really is powerful over all things, then why do we need to pray for his kingdom to come? Right? What, what, uh, what does this mean that there is a realm or a place where his rule, his will, is not effective and followed? Could there be such a place? Well, and there are some who take God's sovereignty to kind of, a, I think, an unhealthy and untrue extreme, who would say, well, no, God is sovereign, and everything is absolutely under his control, and his will is unchallenged anywhere and everywhere. Uh, but when we look at the, at the Lord's Prayer, especially the Matthew version of it, Jesus says, pray that, that his kingdom would come. In other words, there is a place in which God's kingdom, the realm of his reign and rule, is not effective. And that place happens to be planet Earth, right? Happy us, right? Um, and it's interesting, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, especially in Matthew, what's that followed with? He says, thy kingdom come, What? Thy will be done on earth exactly as it is in heaven. You mean there's an option that it's not? Well, yes, there is an option and a, a, a means whereby God's will is, is, God desires one thing in heaven that's not necessarily carried out on earth. Right? That's why we need to pray that his will would be done on earth exactly as it's done in heaven. Uh, does this mean that God is not sovereign? No, he is sovereign. He is almighty. He is powerful. He is ruling to some extent over everything. Uh, but God has also given you and I a will, right? a free will. He's given you and I, he's given human beings the, the capacity and the ability to make choices and decisions on our own. And guess what? We, believe it or not, don't always Choose God's will. I know for some of you that comes as a total shock, right? That there may be the possibility your spouse could choose something that's not God's will. Or that you could choose something that's not God's will, right? But uh, that puts our mini kingdom in conflict with God's great kingdom. Um, And so uh, we could come up with another definition that God has... Uh, his will at two levels. Uh, God has his absolute will where he accomplishes everything he wants. And in that sense, God is sovereign. And I want to be very clear and upfront about this, that no matter what we do, contrary to God's will, it never troubles God. Okay? Because in the grand scheme of his, uh, his plan for salvation in history, he will accomplish his purpose. 
And no matter how much our wills are contrary to his or go in against or opposed to him, God's grand plan will be carried out because he doesn't need us to cooperate with him in order to carry out his plans and purpose. But there is another sense in which God's that's God's kind of grand absolute will at a universal scale. But locally on earth during this time and in this place, uh, God has limited how far his will overrides ours. And in that sense, we can call his will uh, the range of his effective will. And that's when Jesus prays, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's praying that the range of God's effective will here on earth would be increased so that what God desires in heaven is what's done here on earth. Um, The phrase, the range of his effective will, is used to define the kingdom or reign of a person, God. Simply put, the range of your effective will is limited to the circumstances under which what you say goes or where your will is done. In the case of God, the range of his effective will is unlimited, except for the fact that God has granted effective will to both human and spiritual beings. Um, In effect, God has limited the efficacy of his own will. Therefore, while God could have his will done everywhere and in every circumstance, he has chosen to live in relationship with you and I, and with spiritual beings, beings who may exercise their own wills. Right? Everybody track with that? A lot of philosophy and theory, sorry about that. But it's important that we understand what we mean when we talk about God's kingdom. Right? So God's kingdom is his effective will, his rule, his power, and his presence. Right? So if we are in God's kingdom, it means we are in a place where God is ruling over our life. And we are living by his power and in his presence. Um, So why does all this matter? Well, it matters because Jesus said he came and said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus' mission was to proclaim God's kingdom. And he says, it was for this purpose that I was sent. Right? So it was a big deal to Jesus. So I would think it would be important to us. Uh, we are commanded to what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Right? What exactly is it we're seeking when we're seeking the kingdom of God? Um, uh, here, Jesus says that the kingdom has come. Right? What is it that's come and how do we live in it? And how do we experience, how do we appropriate it? And those are huge questions that should be vitally important to all of us. Uh, so what I want to do is look at this passage and from it uh, get a picture uh, and some illustration of, of, of these principles of God's kingdom. Uh, so let's look at the passage, uh, the first point, the battle of wills. Uh, verse 14 starts off, Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Uh, we live in a world where things have gone terribly wrong. Right? Uh, here's a man who is, is tormented and oppressed by a spiritual power, a demon, that uh, says the demon is mute. I don't know that the demon's actually mute, but it causes the guy to be mute. Right? And uh, Satan has sealed his tongue so he's no longer able to communicate with other people. Uh, He's broken that relationship that this guy has 
with the people around him. Uh, Everywhere Jesus went, the world was a mess. And people were constantly being brought to him who were broken and crippled and blind and who were oppressed by evil spirits. Uh, Was this the way God created the world? Well, no. God's will, God's will in heaven, was that the world would be a much different place. A place where where there would be peace, where there would be the things that you envisioned heaven being. A place where life works and things go well. Well, what happened? Well, uh, somehow the evil forces of darkness got control of what God created. And they usurped uh, the power uh, of God and took over his kingdom and established their own. Now, how did they get this power? How is it that Satan and his uh, dark army uh, usurped power from God? Well, they certainly have their own wills, and their own will is bent on destroying the work of creation. Uh, But they actually usurped it uh, not by their own power. Uh, The fact that Satan rules this world is actually our fault. Because we have opened the door for him to have power and control in this world through our own will. Uh, It goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, When Adam and Eve, uh, with their own wills, chose to reject God's will and God's plan and God's command and decided that they knew a better way and they had a better plan and they, by their own choice, rejected God's plan and pursued their own way of doing things, they opened up the world to be invaded by Satan where he could take power and control. Uh, Because they chose against God, unwittingly they chose for Satan and they gave Satan a foothold for power in their life and in the world. Um, And Jesus describes Satan's kingdom, Satan's realm, his power in terms of a kingdom. Notice what it says in verse 15. Some of them said, uh, Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, listen to these words, every what? Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Uh, Jesus affirms here that this world is not our kingdom anymore, nor is it God's kingdom. It is Satan's kingdom. Uh, We as human beings would love to live and, and, and often live with the illusion that we're rulers of this world, that we elect governments and we install power, and even though they're kind of messed up, they're our own making. But Jesus says, no, uh, it, it is a, a kingdom ruled by Satan. Uh, other scripture says he is the prince of the power of the air. Right? So we live under Satan's rule because of our own bad choices and the fault of our own willfulness. Uh, and and uh, we continue in an attitude of unwillingness to bow, right? We continue with this stubborn streak that says we will not let God rule in our lives. And by doing so, we unwittingly give reign and power to Satan. It's interesting, when you look at, at this crowd, 
They've just seen this re- remarkable miracle. Uh, and, and they've seen repeatedly Jesus doing this kind of thing, right? Where Jesus is uh, giving sight to the blind. He's raising the cripple and he's casting out demons in dramatic ways that are clear and obvious. Uh, so much so that none of them can stand up and dispute what Jesus is doing. They can't accuse Jesus of, of you know, smoke and mirrors. Right? It's too clear what he is doing. Um, so how do they deal with this? Well, if, if it's God doing this through, through Christ, then they uh, have one choice, and that is to bow before Jesus. And unlike others who did miracles, the the scope and the extent of Jesus' miracles was so overwhelming that he was unique, uh, exceeding even Moses and Elijah. And so for them to look at all that Jesus did, um, if it's from God, then, then Jesus is clearly the Messiah, the promised one. And if that is true, what should be their response? Well, there's only one response. You bow before him as king. He is Lord Supreme. He is the coming ruler. And if that is true, you have one choice. To fall flat on your face before him and say, Lord Jesus, you have the right to rule this world in my life. But instead, what does the crowd do? Well, it says the crowds were amazed at Jesus' miracles, um, but they doubted it, right? They said, well... He must be doing this by the power of Satan. Uh, Why did they think that? Well, there's only one reason they thought that. Because they did not want to bow their life to Jesus. They were unwilling to bow and proclaim him as Lord. Uh, They were unwilling to give up their own will and yield it to a greater will in Christ. Um, So there's two huge problems here. First, The most significant problem is that humanity from Adam to our present day refuses to bow to its creator, right? We are people who are willful, and because of our will and our desire to grasp at our own kingdom, we refuse to let God be king and rule. But secondly, um, uh, this does not put us in charge, right? Even though we want to claim authority, the reality is, It has put Satan in charge and he now rules this world. And we have now become captives and prisoners of Satan. Well, how does this work in real life? Let's go out of the theoretical and come down to like real life where we all live. Right. This is what this looks like in real life. God has given us commands. Right. What are some of the commands? Love one another. Thou shalt not do bad things. What? Thou shalt not steal, lie, commit adultery. Uh, Thou shalt not covet, right? God gave us these commands. Why did he give us these commands? Because he's a cosmic killjoy who does not want us to have fun, right? And he's this control freak who just has, he just loves rules, right? No, no. It is because he created the world and he created us and he knows how things will work. He knows how things should be. He knows what will make our life work well. And so he's given us rules and commands and instructions so that life will work, so that heaven will function on earth. But what did we do with those rules? 
Well, um, let's take the let's take the rule of coveting. What is coveting? Coveting is wanting something that belongs to somebody else. Wanting what somebody else has. Uh, be it their toy, their smartphone, their car, their girlfriend, um, the relationship they have, the children they have, the career they have, the success they have, the power and control that other people have. Right? Coveting is wanting those things for myself. Have any of us ever done that? Don't you have to raise your hands. Right? Have you ever desired something that belonged to somebody else? Only like a hundred times a day. Uh, yes. You know, we see things other people have. And what do we think? Do we think, well, praise God that he has blessed them with those generous gifts. No, what we think is, well, God's just shortchanging me. How come they get the good stuff and I don't? They get the smartphone and I get a junky old phone that doesn't work, Right. God must love them more than they love me, right? And I don't like that, right? And I'm convinced that the way I'm going to find joy and happiness in life and my life's going to be complete is if I get the things everybody else has, that's going to make me happy, right? So instead of trusting God as a loving and good father who will take care of us, we take things into our own hands, And we pursue those things apart from God's will, apart from his instructions, apart from his plan, and we grasp them for ourselves. And sometimes they can be very good things. Sometimes it can be success in ministry. But we want success in ministry because it's going to make us look good and people are going to applaud us. Uh, But we don't do it because God has led us. We do it by grasping things with our own hand and taking charge and doing it through my own will, through my own way, through my own effort. That's coveting. Um, Or we pursue an immoral relationship. Or we indulge in some pleasure or ambition that is not God's will. And it's apart from his clear instructions and commands. And we take control of our own life and our own happiness apart from his will. Right? We do it by controlling and manipulating others, by grasping and and making others come through for us so we get what we want. Uh, And oftentimes we get it, right? But there is a price for that. And the price is when we do that, we hand over control of our life to Satan, right? Because those unchecked longings and desires are the key to our heart. And when we let those things go unchecked, we hand the key over to Satan and we say, look, you now have power over my life through those things. Um, And while we think what we're getting is the toy or the girl or the success or the fame, what we're getting are chains. And our life is, is bound by Satan and we become captive to him. Um, this, this is an extreme case, but this is a picture of how it works. Um, a, a girl uh, finds herself unable to cope with life, so she turns to drugs to make her happy. Because she turns to drugs to make her happy, she uh, loses control of her life and soon loses her job and can't keep a job. Without money, she can't buy drugs. So she resorts to other things to make money. 
She begins to sell herself to others in order to get money to buy drugs. And soon she can neither, neither quit the drugs nor quit the career choice she's made to earn money. And she is a prisoner held captive to Satan's power, right? Extreme case, but that's true. Every single one of us, when we um, allow uh, our own will to take control of our life. So that's where we are, and that's where the world is. Uh, but God's kingdom is a kingdom of power. And Jesus says, uh, he says, uh, let me read starting, starting again at verse 15. Jesus says, uh, uh, some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test them kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So they're still unwilling to yield uh, power to him. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided, divided against itself is laid waste. Uh, a divided house falls. And if Satan is, is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Uh, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, Jesus lays out an, uh, an argument attacking their their. They're thinking uh, real simply. And let me just go highlight it real quickly. Part one is, look, if Satan is thus divided, then his kingdom can't have power. Right? No kingdom can stand when it's so divided against itself. This is his first point. If this were true, then, Jesus would, then, then Satan would have no power. You would have nothing to fear. But obviously Satan is very powerful. He's exercising great control and influence over the earth. So therefore, Satan's not divided. Right? He's in control, and he's not casting out demons by demons. Secondly, so if I cast out demons by Satan, then who do others cast him out by? Right? He says, it's either by the power of God or it's by the power of Satan. It can't be both. You have to pick. <laughs> right? So um, it can't be Satan. It's got to be by God. Therefore, if that is true, then God's kingdom has come. His kingdom has come. Uh, Jesus is saying, look, I am casting out these demons because God's kingdom has come. His effective rule is just getting bigger. Right? The power of God just got stronger. And, and God is no longer holding back his will in, in the heavenly realms. He has invaded planet Earth in a way that his will is being pushed forward, uh, sometimes by force and by power. And that happens in two ways. One, it happens because Jesus himself was fully committed to doing God's will. Every place Jesus goes, every person he heals, everything he, he does is not his own will, his own thinking. He's doing it in complete obedience to the Father. Uh, even obedient to the point of death on a cross. Right? Jesus fully carries out the Father's will. So in himself, the kingdom has come because he's exercising uh, God's will. But more than that, um, God's kingdom comes with power. Right? God decides to exercise his will through force of power. And Jesus goes on and he says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Okay, the picture here is of Satan 
who's like a super duper teenage mutant ninja turtle guy, right? He's got swords, he's got guns, he's got, you know, uh, bullets and bombs and armor. And, and he's like a one-man uh, army. And it says his house, but literally the word that's used there in the Greek is the idea of a castle. It's an enclosed fortified fortress. Right? And he is on the wall of that fortress patrolling with all these powerful weapons. And inside the fortress, inside the castle, are all of those he has taken captive and prisoner. And as long as he's armed and strong and invincible, nobody's getting out and nobody's breaking in to rescue them. Until what? Until one much stronger than Mr. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle guy comes along, right? Until Jesus comes along. And it says, what does he do? He strips him of his armor, right? He takes away all of his power. He beats him up. He rips away all of his guns and missiles and bombs and armor, and he leaves him uh, hovering in a corner. Right? If Satan is, you know, has Superman powers, Jesus is kryptonite. You get the picture here, right? And he makes Satan powerless. And what does he do? Well, it says he takes his spoils. He breaks into the fortress. He opens the gate and he releases the captives. That's what Jesus has done. That's what he's doing. That's what the breaking in of his kingdom is about. And it's one that he, he, he does with power. So when God's will is not being done, uh, he can enforce his will through power. And that's what he does against Satan and the forces of darkness. Right? Now, I, I wouldn't recommend this, right? Husbands, wives, right? Um, there's a temptation to... Exercise your kingdom through power and force. Right? Don't go there. Right? Because your weapons aren't that good. I'm just telling you. Right? But for God, it works. Right? He is invincible. And Satan cannot stand against him. And so one of the reasons God's kingdom is coming is because it's coming with power. And Jesus comes with power to turn the, the kingdom of Satan upside down. And he is broken in, and Jesus is breaking the power of Satan. But is that how Jesus deals with you and I? Uh, is that how he is going to win us uh, to yield to his will? Well, no. Now, could he do that? Could he come in with his power and force us to bow to him? Absolutely, he could do it. Um, he could muscle us into a position of submission. And with total domination, as he does with Satan, he could force us to bow to him. But like Satan, we would not bow with an attitude of love and joy and respect. We would bow with bitter resentment and hatred. And that's not what God wants, is it? Right? God does not want you to worship him out of fear or out of compulsion. God wants to win your heart. So while his will comes on one force dealing with Satan in power, it comes in a much different kind of power when it comes to you and I. And it really is the power of the cross. A very different kind of power where God does not muscle his way over things, but where he actually 
lays down his life and sacrifices himself. Uh, Sometimes battles require that. Sometimes to make the greatest advance in a battle, it means sacrifice. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has laid down his life as the sacrifice for sin. Why? To win our hearts, not by force, but by a demonstration of his incredible love and grace. Um, He longs to draw us to himself. And God's desire is that we would willingly and joyfully bow before him. That's what God wants from us. He does that through the cross by the demonstration of his love uh, so that he can draw us to himself. So that we will begin to trust God as a good and loving father who has gone to extreme lengths to win our affection. And he freely gives us the gifts of his grace and healing and forgiveness and all the treasures of his kingdom uh, through Christ if we will just yield our life to him in faith. Um, That is how God wants to get his way on earth with us, by winning our hearts through his grace. Um, Jesus doesn't really talk about that in this passage, but it's, it's the end of the gospel story. Right? So what does this mean here and now? <clears throat> well, it is a kingdom that is here and now. And one of the things I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that the kingdom of heaven is not something, the kingdom of God is not completely future. Right? It is something that God has made available for us here and now, and he is inviting us to enter into it and live there now. Uh, He says the kingdom of God has arrived. It's here. It's available. But uh, you have to enter it. You have to choose it. Uh, And with it comes all the benefits and blessings of being set free from captivity to Satan, of being healed, of being forgiven, of living in relationship with the Father. Uh, And we enter his kingdom simply through faith, right? God's trying to win our trust so that we will will have faith in him. We will joyfully bow our life because we know his way is best. Uh, And and this, by the way, does not diminish God's sovereignty and salvation. That's a whole other topic for a whole other day. But God is still the first mover in salvation, Right? He initiates salvation. He has predestined us. He has chosen us. He has called us. Uh, but in his sovereignty, he, he has given us a will where we are required to choose him as well uh, and to choose his free gift. In verse 23, it says this, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, there is a choice to make. While God has... Beaten Satan, he's taken over the fortress, he's opened the door, he's made it possible for us to walk out and be set free and have relationship with him. We have to choose. He does not overpower or override our will. Um, the, the, The people Jesus is talking to would rather sidestep the issue by ascribing Jesus' power to demons. 
That's how they avoid bowing to him. In our day, how do we do it? Well, we do it, I think, through the God of science. Uh, as we uncover more and more amazing mysteries of the universe, um, instead of saying, wow, God is a, an incredible creator, instead we've said what? Well, that's an amazing cosmic accident. What do you know? What are the odds of that? About one in a hundred billion, right? So therefore, the universe has got to be about a hundred billion years old for it to happen. Right? Why? Because we, uh, you know, human, humankind refuses to bow to God. So we have to ascribe what we see to somebody else. He says, uh, last, last section, he says this. Uh, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the end of that person is worse than the beginning. Uh, Jesus is simply saying this. He has made it possible for every human being to receive him. He, by his power, has has bound Satan so that Satan cannot hold us captive anymore. Uh, he has opened the gates to his fortress. He has, in a sense, cleaned and put the house in order. But the kingdom of God has not arrived until God's presence has filled the house. Right? An empty house where God's presence is not dwelling, no matter how clean it is, is not in the kingdom. Ultimately, God's kingdom is a place where God's presence dwells. And the amazing thing is God wants to come into your life. Amazing, right? He wants to dwell there. He wants to rule there. He wants to bring to you the full benefits of all the blessings of kingdom life. But we have to choose it ourselves. And if we don't, what happens? He says the end of that person is far worse than the beginning. Um, if we choose him, he fills us with his presence. If we do not, the end will be far worse than the beginning. Uh, Satan has been overcome. His weapons have been stripped. He has not been destroyed. He still roams. He still has power. And that power rests in our will. And if uh, for all those who reject the invitation to come to Christ and they live by their own willfulness, uh, they invite back the return of Satan many times over. But also as believers, where we are not yielding our life to Christ and we are not submitting our will to him, where we are still being willful in certain areas of our life, we bring in the, the, the control and influence of Satan. And I'm not saying you're going to be demon-possessed, but Satan has power in your life uh, when you do not yield your life to Christ. Yield your will to him. Um, and God's spirit dwells in us and he will not allow Satan to destroy us right, if you're a true child of God. But beware, right? Beware. Uh, the end is far worse than the beginning. Let me just close with this 
not really application, but it's, it's as close as I got. By the way, next week we'll, in the next two weeks we'll look more at applying all this like really heady theory stuff. But let me just close with this. Uh, to speak about kind of a modern trend going on right now in the world um, that, that God, because he's love, wants everybody to come into heaven and therefore, uh, to put it the way it gets said, is God gets what he wants, right? In the end, everybody will be saved. Uh, clearly, this passage would, would not lean in that direction, right? And there's a, a movie that's come out recently called Hellbound. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't really comment on it too much. But the idea of the movie is that it's this debate between all these Christian characters. And I, I say characters because most of them really are characters. It's a nice way of saying nutcases. Um, who are well known, but not known for their scholarship necessarily. Known more for their ability to generate uh, controversy. And... Um, the premise is these two sides kind of debate back and forth if God would really send people to hell or not. Are we really hell-bound if we don't get saved, if we're not Christians, right? Um, as I said, I, I haven't watched the movie, so I can't really comment on the movie. But I would say this. I think they're asking the wrong question. The question is not would God send people to hell when they die. The real question is this. In what kingdom are you living at this very moment, here and now? Because Jesus makes it very clear in this passage, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, and you are in one or the other. That's where you are. If you have not chosen God's kingdom, you are in hell. You are under the rule and dominion of Satan now. You are not hell-bound. You are already there. Um. And that's scripture truth. That's what the gospel is. Right? Does it mean God does not desperately will the salvation of all people? Yes, he does. In heaven, God wills the salvation of all people. But God will not override our will and overpower it by his own. He has chosen in his sovereignty to leave it up to us. Right? He is drawing us to himself. But every person must choose him. The problem is not, the, is not the, the generosity or love of God. He has made the way possible for every person. That is not the issue or the question. The question is, what are you choosing? Are you choosing heaven? Are you choosing hell? And the truth is, you cannot choose heaven and not bow to the sovereign lordship of God. At some point, he must rule. His kingdom is his rule. His effective will carried out in our life. There is no such thing as seeking the benefits of heaven without bowing before Jesus as king. Because he is king and he rules. And the reason heaven works is because he's ruling. (laughs) If he's not ruling, it's no longer heaven. That's the definition of kingdom. So, so the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. It's with humanity and the stubbornness and willfulness of our own hearts. Right? Here's the reality and the truth of it. If a person is not willing to bow and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, heaven itself would be a burning hell to them. Right? Right? To be in the presence of holy God when you are defiant of him will not be a fun place. 
right? It will not be a place where you are happy or comfortable. It would be hell, right? So maybe God brings everybody to heaven, but it will not be a fun place for those who do not love and worship him, who do not acknowledge him as king. Um, Do we acknowledge him as king? A lot of what we do every Sunday as we gather to praise and exalt him as Lord. So our worship is so important, right? And our worship teams work so hard. It's not just filler, right? It's kind of the main point. The sermon's not really the main point. The main point is really what you do with the message in response to God as he's revealed himself to you. Is he the great sovereign I am who's Lord over all things, who's creator and provider, gracious God of the universe? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.